five movies this is one of your co-hosts chris gasper this is frank pelican you are listening to episode 11 of the spin chagrin and your category last week frank was non-traditional cowboys so first how did you how did how what were the potential ways you could find define non-traditional as you thought about it more and i guess what did you end up with well i assume that it was anything that didn't take place in the the standard setting of a dude and like a poncho and a cowboy hat riding on a horse with like six shooters in the desert Mm -hmm. which is to me like a western or you know the traditional setting for a cowboy so unfortunately maybe not unfortunately i i I watch a lot of westerns so i see a lot of things that would be considered non-traditional so i considered some of the um sartana stuff and some of the django stuff um because they're not necessarily traditional in the sense that like they have sometimes different settings and they're they tend to be more i don't know actiony i guess or um exploitation movies more than just traditional westerns but it still felt like too close to me and i i've also seen a lot of those movies although there was a sartana one that um I thought about doing um, that I had never seen before that's on Arrow. <clears throat> then I was like, all right, well, I got to try and think of something else. So there's things like The Proposition, but I already seen it. Um, Bone Tomahawk would have been a great example, but, you know, mm-hmm. of course, already seen that. So I was just like, I don't even remember what I searched for, but I happened upon a movie that I had really wanted to see when I was a kid. So this movie came out in 1998 um, and was hyped like crazy and stuff like Fangoria and Starlog and Wizard. And this was all stuff that either I read and subscribed to or I had friends that read and subscribed to. So Mm -hmm. it had a lot of hype. Um, It was one of the early Ain't It Cool News movies that they really pushed the shit out of. It's a lot Um, of clues and I can't guess it. Right. So, I don't know that it ever played anywhere around here, because I remember trying to see it, because nobody that I knew wanted to see this movie, like, it had no, I don't know, like, no heat with any of my friends, but I thought it looked amazing, and they would have, um, like, when you were reading Fangoria, um, or Wizard or Inquest or whatever, like, in the areas where they would have the ads and stuff, um, because those magazines used to have, like, classifieds almost in them where people could like buy and sell and trade things with each other. And it would always like for months and and comic books too, I think in like the um, vertigo stuff that I was reading at the time, you would see like these stringer ads, like the skinny, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, like quarter page ads. um, That was this image of this, this character that I thought looked amazing. And you and I actually worked on, um, a story comic script slash movie script for a while that ended up metamorphosizing into other things but um the basic premise was of 
a, a man a cowboy who rises from the dead in order to revenge like wrongs against him and that started actually as something that i just like came up in my imagination because of the stills from this film so hmm. i mean for you know whatever 20 plus years um the images from that from this movie from the production and art of this movie and stuff have been in my head and i've never had the chance to see it and i actually probably kind of forgot about it a little bit too but <clears throat> i was sort of do, looking do, do you know like that scene in um fear and loathing in las vegas after he's taking like chewed on the adrenal gland and Bencio is just sitting there talking and talking and talking and he's like finish the fucking story <laughs> that's that's kind of that's kind of good <laughs> I, i'm waiting to hear what this movie is that's the build you get because mm-hmm. then we're gonna then then we have to actually talk about it right. so i'm kind of trying drink sipping my water you know biding my time trying to <laughs> trying to savor savor these last moments <laughs> um so this is only a western in probably the loosest sense of the term but it does have a lot of the elements mm-hmm. the movie is called six string samurai mm. um it is an indie movie uh to 1998 stars a man named jeffrey falcon who was an american martial artist who before the premiere of this movie was being touted as like the next big thing like this movie was gonna you know blow him up and he was gonna you know be the next like american action star even though he looks like he should be in weezer oh yeah yeah we'll 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 get to that (laughs) um so the promotional art for this movie that the general concept of the movie is there's this lone wanderer it's very it's very fallout-esque in a lot of ways Mm. um from the sense that the atomic war happened in 1954 or 57 i think whatever the um uh the mythos of this this world is um when that happened basically everything froze in time and then civilization kind of like took a step back the russians invaded the u.s and took over like the major cities and so now it's i don't know i think i think it actually takes place in the 1990s in this fictitious universe um now it's been you know decades later and elvis has been ruling in lost vegas they call it so again very similar to like the fallout Mm -hmm. mythology but he's died so now they need to crown a new king of las vegas so wolfman jack basically is broadcasting like his over the radio (laughs) like calling calling anyone that's willing to come take the challenge to come to las vegas to claim the crown of the king the new king so the man that answers this call is this and you aptly described him as looking like someone that belongs in weezer um this kind of skinny white dude with horn rim glasses that are the lenses are cracked and they're taped together with tape um with kind of a i'm gonna say this and i hope you understand like you get a visual he's got kind of an early 90s val kilmer pompadour poof haircut um carries a a six string it's like a gresh guitar i think that has a secret like compartment that has a fucking samurai sword in it so he's the six string samurai um so the movie opens with this kid and his mom being chased across this wheat field by a group of um 
dreadnoughts, I guess I wouldn't know what else to call them, like Mad Max rejects, um, who kill the mother and then are about to kill the son, but then are dispatched in short order by the six string samurai with his samurai sword. Um, he also carries an umbrella, mind you, because that's a callback to um, shit. I can't remember which Japanese. There's it's it's like a trope in Japan. There's a samurai showdown character that has an umbrella um, that he carries with him. Um, I can't remember what. Maybe Zetuichi has an umbrella. Some some character in Japanese like seventies eighties Japanese action um, martial arts movies carries an umbrella. So anyway, so it's an homage to that sort of. Um, so he doesn't want to take the kid with him. The kid is basically the rabid child in, or the feral child in, uh, Mad Max 2, um, Road Warrior. But the kid ends up following him. It's really hard to explain why this movie is terrible because when you describe it, it actually sounds kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And for years, like that was the thing that hung with me was the idea that it might be kind of cool. But it is the antithesis of cool. Like the kid is like, <sighs> like makes noises like that. And then the dude turns around and is like, <sighs> and makes that noise. And then like, that's how they communicate with each other. <laughs> um, so they eventually get to a gas station where there's a bunch of ne'er-do-wells like assembled. And everybody knows the legend of the six string samurai when he gets there. So there's a group of people and i swear to god i believe they're called the pin pals like the simpsons joke um but they might be called something other than that they're uh these bald guys with earrings that are wearing bowling shirts and have um bowling pins that have knives uh, secreted in them um and they want to kill this dude and then there's a group of this there's this band called the red elvises who i guess were a russian um rockabilly man kind of uh that also want to kill this dude but because death has told that look it's ridiculous who the fuck's death i'm getting to that so so he dispatches with some people here with his kung fu skills the whole soundtrack so it's interesting because the soundtrack was scored um by a man named brian tyler who would later go on to have huge success like in um film composing he did the uh like the bottom the thing that the marvel universe the, the mcu oh yeah. um scroll like he did that mm-hmm. uh he scored tons and tons of movies he's been incredibly successful this was the second movie that he scored so he mm-hmm. scored this alongside the red elvises so the soundtrack to this movie oh, yeah. is a combination of rockabilly and the most generic ass fucking like dick dale surf rock shit which was all super popular at the time because of you know this is in the the aftermath of pulp fiction and it's in the rise of like one of my least favorite types of music yeah yeah like like big bag voodoo daddy and um squirrel nut zippers and all that nonsense so it's this terrible combination of um surf rock and swing all together with this style that's like I don't know, like swingers, cannibal holocaust mixed together, kind of like so everybody's like all bedraggled and torn up and beat up and holes and everything, but they're all wearing like, um, like wingtips with the uh, the sidewalls and loose like fucking, I don't know, 
not I almost called them Zuba pants, but that's not right. Like no. zoot suit pants, kind of right. Zoot suit. There you go. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it'd be funny if there was if it was it was Zuba pants. <laughs> right. Zubas. Um. So anyway, so then you find out the death is after the six string samurai because he's trying to stop him. Um, because he doesn't want him to go to Las Vegas, and Death is is dressed like Slash from Guns N' Roses, mm. so he's got like the top, like the round stovepipe with like the medallions on it, and he's got long black hair, and he's wearing, um, I don't know what you call it, like rock star clothes, but he's got no face. Like does he have the hat? Just, like, like yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that. The, okay. the, 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 the stove, stove pipe yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. Did you that? No, he's got no face and then he's got his three horsemen who are all a bunch of like dimwits and they all have bows and arrows because that's how they kill people is with bows and arrows but when they talk they don't like it I gotta get him like I don't know it's it's fucking awful man <laughs> the other thing so anyway so six string samurai like murders some people at this gas station and steals a car and then him and the kid are driving, or the kid steals a car, and him and the kid are driving away, because um, there's a cannibal family that's there that wants to eat the kid, that he eventually leaves them with. I don't know. It, it's really stupid. Um, so they're chasing him. So here's the part that you would love about this movie, is that 80% of it is done in slow motion. Uh-huh. Um, so the movie's only like like an hour. It's it's an hour and a half exactly. Yeah, this fucking movie would be like 62 minutes without slow motion. Like it seriously is an hour's worth of content stretched into an hour and a half. And it's always him doing like because I guess he was a real martial artist, this um Falcon dude or whatever. It's always him doing like the like the classic like you know they flip around with like a like a spin kick and they end up in like some like crane. I'm dumb emulating uh-huh. chris can see me on the screen like they end up in some like crane pose or like tiger strike or whatever uh-huh. so anyway so they get away from the cannibals um or they they get away from the the, the dreadnoughts and then they run into some cannibals and the cannibals are going to eat the kid but then six string samurai saves them so finally there's the showdown with death and his minions and during this fight, the six-string samurai succumbs to his injuries and dies. And the kid puts on... The kid is, like, walking down the street and all of a sudden has this frumpled, like, tuxedo suit. Because that's what the six-string samurai wears. Mm-hmm. With the guitar and the um, katana and his glasses. And he's walking into Las Vegas because he's going to be the new king. And that's the movie. What? Yeah, that's 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 it. And I swear to God, like that's seriously like what I just described to you is pretty much every single thing that happens. Um except it's all done in slow motion. And none of it makes sense. Like they're in this like Studebaker or something, trying to get away from the fucking dreadnoughts. And the dreadnoughts car has been sabotaged. So the dreadnoughts are running after them on foot and keeping up with them in like a motor vehicle. Um, and finally the car breaks down and the six string samurai is like well kid you're on your own and he starts to walk away and the kid is like filling up dirty water from a mud puddle to put it in the radiator to get the car to run again and then the six string samurai comes back and kills the dreadnoughts um and when i say dreadnoughts i mean seriously they look like rejects from gi joe like right this this movie is very much number one it was filmed on like two locales Number two, it's clearly inspired by 
Mad Max and um, I would say Mad Max, like the Toshiro Mifune uh, Samurai Trilogy, and then um, Fistful of Dollars, I think, just in terms of like its look, like the way that, because it's all filmed out in Nevada, so it's all dusty and mountainous and, you know, tumbleweeds and whatever. Um, they don't really do a great job of kind of presenting a post-apocalyptic. It just looks like a bunch of like, like, like hobo camp war or something. I don't know. Like everybody just looks really. Well, that's the way you can do it on the cheap, right? Is by making. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the thing is, is like, so they would they would show stills from this movie because this is the very early days, and you and we've we've talked about this on a podcast before. But this is like you were spending like two days to download a quick time file of a trailer if you were yeah. watching it on the internet mm-hmm. so it wasn't like you could really see anything right you know just like quickly by going to youtube or whatever like that shit sure. didn't exist right so all you had was i think i read an article about this it might have been in film threat actually that makes sense is that's where it was was film threat or fangoria and these advertisements which was this awesome shot of this dude with like a guitar slung across his back holding a katana to his side like standing in like a field of wheat i mean that shit like it it looked fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. and i cannot believe that i've gone 20 plus years and this is what i am left with is the experience of this movie um every every voice in the movie is dubbed so it all comes across like is it because they're foreign or because they're it's intentional oh no 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 they're all american i mean it's an american director american actors the only people that are i guess foreign in it are the red elvises and they're not really in much of the movie um no i think it's just a stylistic choice like where they went back and overdubbed the dialogue to have people talking kind of like muppet voices so a guy would talk like this like you know Mm. when he's talking to somebody it's just really it's very very film school independent right feel to it like but not good film school like i don't know i'm not going to insult anybody it's it's like a bunch of, it, it it's some dude who what we would now call a fedora but back then was just like some nerdy guy who was super into like like myself and my friends i mean we used to make terrible movies when we were in high school too that were similar with like you know speeding up the frame rate to make people look like they're moving fast or doing the whole trick um like do you remember i i don't know in the early days of the ifc channel they used to show show the short show this short film that was witches like chasing each other around a city in europe have you ever seen this no and it was done almost like stop motion animation so basically it was people holding brooms between their legs and then jumping up in the air repeatedly while it was being filmed um like with the shutter speed messed with okay so that it looked like they were um like when it would show them emotion they would cut out the frame of their legs being down they would only cut out the frame of their legs being up but you can still kind of see their legs go down so we give the illusion of them flying mm-hmm. at like you know two feet three feet in the air okay um that's the kind of shit that we would do and that's similar to this like those are the kind of effects that this this movie uses but this is a you know a wide release motion picture wide enough um 
again, it was the darling of stuff like Ain't Cool News. Like it was one of the first things I read about on Ain't Cool News. Um, you saw ads for it all the time in these, you know, genre magazines and stuff. And people were super excited for it. And then it just fucking bombed. Like nobody cared. Um, it had a budget of $2 million. Apparently I don't even know how much it made. Oh, I'm sorry. It made $124,494 in the box office. And that's an exact number from um, uh, Wikipedia. Hmm. So just an abject failure um, with a really cool idea. But again, like, so the inspiration for this Revenant thing that we did was I had always like pictured like that, like it would be cowboys with swords, basically, like the old West, but with, you know, Mm -hmm people dressed in like dusters and cowboy hats and stuff with katanas and you know daggers and shit and bows and arrows um that was always my vision for it and it was because of this movie like i was so Mm -hmm. inspired by like this the small shots that i saw of this and again no one cared like there was no fucking interest in this movie anywhere and i really should have listened so you know (laughs) zeke chuck sean ken everybody from back then i apologize if you were right fucking terrible okay so i want you to try to put yourself in the mindset of 1998 let's assume that you want to go see this movie in 1998 okay so whatever um like 22 year old frank or whatever you would have been um what do you what do you what do you think you would have thought of this movie then Dude, I would never have admitted this movie was garbage. I would have told you this was like the greatest movie. <laughs> right. I was so invested in this fucking movie in 1998 uh-huh. that I would have been like, oh yeah, like you just don't understand it. Like you just don't get it. Like it's just, uh-huh. it's, it's too cool for you. But man, it, it, it would have been garbage. I would have known in my heart that I was a fucking fraud because I never would have been able to, I, I, I don't, I don't know how I would have liked this movie in 1998. Does that make sense? Like, I there was a lot of terrible things that I liked when I was around that age. So in '98, right. I'm 21, 20, mm-hmm. 20, 21 years old, 21 years old. So I'm into some terrible shit. Like I'm preaching to you about Cannibal Holocaust and make them die slowly, and Umberto Lenzi and fucking Ruggiero Diodato and Fulci, and like I'm into all the fucking splatter Italian horror movies and stuff. And I never would admit that I was wrong about anything. And like, as I've aged, I've, I don't know, gained like some minor measure of humility, I guess, in that respect. And like, I I still enjoy some of those movies, but I can see, you know, subjectively like the flaws in them. But I'm telling you, like, I would have, I would have died on the hill of Six String Samurai because I was so hyped for it and no one would ever go see it with me. And then it never ended up playing anywhere around here. So, and I would have died alone and sad on that hill why 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 you're admitting while you're admitting things um do you want to admit that um beck's sea change is derivative of his his other works and not as good as you initially claimed it was i don't like sea change you guys the ones like sea change is that what i'm I'm thinking of is that the wrong i'm a fan of um you you're you're thinking of wero is the one that yeah that I love that that's nobody else one. likes. Yes, I yes, still think that Wero is his yeah, best. That's album, it. So. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, and that's not even. I mean, that's not even hubris or whatever. I just think it's really good. I know. I'm just. Yeah, that's the first thing I can think of. of, of yeah, you guys. You guys disagree are, on. 
you guys are the ones that are all about sea change i yeah, i think yeah, that midnight I, vultures yeah is far superior to sea change if we're going from that yeah. time period yeah i i got the albums wrong we can remember that's a, that's actually if you this is completely off the tangent if you're getting me to admit shit but like from an artistic perspective like those that i don't know six or seven year period starting with um stereopathetic soulman or like up through midnight vultures is like one of the most fucking amazing musical outputs of like any artist ever i think like there is yeah. so much good stuff that comes out of beck at that point sure and he's just like lost so much of that because have you listened to his stuff from the past like 20 years dude it's 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 20 trash. years i mean uh, like 15 maybe i don't know like everything after Wero and listening to Wero now like i'll admit that like 50 percent of that album is is not good but 50 percent of it's really good so i can still like enjoy it but um everything after that oof, okay we'll, we'll we'll pick back up on this later but um because i think you're misremembering things but um what yeah oh no you're right it is Wero. okay um but that's been in that was 2015 2005 sorry 2005 right, so, so 15 years okay yeah um yeah all right so so what's your question do you think this movie this movie has to somebody played fallout right no it didn't exist then did it no the 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 top down stuff did i mean in 98 are you sure uh, yeah dude um you need some fact check on that absolutely let's keep talking while you're fact checking though well we well okay let's assume it exists while i fact check and if so if i'm right which i'm pretty sure i am um okay 1997 is when it came out okay so i'm sure that this movie was already somewhat in maybe but also wasteland is before that right like the original wasteland yes yeah isn't that like from the 80s or something yeah yeah 88 i would i would argue that's probably just as much like i'm telling you like this is a guy he watched a lot of fucking mifune samurai shit you know probably the lone wolf stuff because there's some of that in it he was super into like rockabilly and swing because that's when it was hip so he and you know like all inspired by fucking Ms. Miserlu or whatever off the that's off Pulp Fiction right it is um Dick Dale fucking whatever the coasters nonsense so he was really into that he was really into like retro style but he also loved like Mad Max and you know the I don't know post-apocalyptic wasteland movies of the 80s and he was like, I'm going to take all these things I love and combine them into one movie. And he just, he just failed, you know, I mean, he just shot his shot and shot it in the trash can. So. I don't know. That movie sounded really boring to me. Like the, the initial premise sound sounded fine. Like potentially like it could be okay. And the longer you talk, the more bored and just kind of like frustrated I got with like. I mean, think about something like think, think about the good movies of this ilk. So like a boy and his dog or hell comes to frog town or you know even shit like 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 road warrior or something like that which is mm -hmm. very not not similar at all in like style or tone but it still is like kind of the same idea right 
if it would have been that just you know this badass dude like wandering the wastelands oh he goes to hell at where the kid goes to hell at one point i guess it's hell they get sucked down somewhere and he fights i, I don't know it's 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 bad man and it's it's like really low budget bad like i yeah. can't believe it caught i don't know where the two million dollars went probably to pay for the fucking red elvises um because it didn't go in the it didn't go in the production um yeah so so the guy that played the slash character death i guess yeah um he's the only one that actually went on to like any kind of moderate success besides the um guy that did the score or whatever the yeah it's because you can't see his face you would never you would never as like a producer of a film agree to hire anyone that you could like actually see physically in this movie mm. i don't but, know why you would but this guy went on to be a director um it seems like he died just a few years ago um at the age of 48 but um but yeah he, he directed a number of movies and was you know doing like all kinds of like work like in terms of various stuff and worked with some pretty like famous people like here and there so that guy went on to do some stuff it's a shame when i looked him up it was like oh he died of a stroke at 48 like that's crazy. a shame yeah um yeah i don't have anything to say about that that's unfortunate yeah the only one that's an american release because he did a lot of work in vietnam is called powder blue um sounds like a altman like movie like I call them all the movies. Plenty of people have done it. Um, that like different interconnected stories, like all coming together. It was um, Swayze's last role before he died. Um, he hmm. was in it, but uh, that's interesting. But yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I wish this was a better movie. I mean, I seriously, when I it was one of those things like where I came across it and I was like, right, fucking six string samurai. Like I'm definitely watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And five minutes in, I was like, oh, my God, I've made such a mistake. <laughs> I think I said that to you, right? Because it was on Saturday when we were doing the Zoom call. I had started it and I had to stop it. Yeah, you had to break your rule, man. You had to break my rule because I was like, I can't I can't give this movie the attention that it needs. Needs, if I'm is, needs is the correct word rather than deserves. Obviously. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was legitimately just like, I don't know, atoning for past sins, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, the things you're doing to yourself at times, Frank, for, and you don't even need to. There's probably like so many better movies that were. But here's the thing. It, that's probably true. I watched so many good movies in the course of a year that I think I need to have a balance there, right? And, like, we kind of talked about this with the quick cage, so I'm fine with... I mean, sometimes a trashy movie is really fun. Like, you know, some of these movies are legitimately kind of enjoyable, you know? Mm -hmm. This just isn't one of those movies. <laughs> right. Right. So, what's your chagrin score on it? <sighs> it's a hard eight, I think. Mm. Mm. look it's not it's not fucking larry the cable guy colon health inspector but mm -hmm. um it's it's riding that edge like it's 
I know there has to be someone that this movie is made for. I just, I don't want to meet that person. Right. Like right. somewhere, somewhere someone is wearing a Stetson uh-huh. and has a huge neck beard and is wearing a Hawaiian shirt that's a samurai in the moonlight slashing his sword with the only color being a trail of blood. And he's wearing Jinkos and DC shoes and has let the bodies hit the floor playing in the background. And that man is in love with this movie. So do you have, did you happen to look it up on Rotten Tomatoes? No, no, I don't ever look anything up on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 57% (laughs) from critics and a 77% from audiences. How many, how many, how many critical ratings is that? 21. Yeah, that ain't shit. I mean, let's see. Top critics, only one. Who? Um, Owen Lieberman? No, it's, 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 it's Russell Smith from the Austin Chronicle. <laughs> What's he giving? He, he has not been, he has not been featured on the, um, on, on the primary podcast ever. Oh, the review actually exists still too. Um, Let's see. God, it's like the way that the Austin Chronicle like puts their reviews out. It's all one paragraph. Ugh. That's awful. We gave it three out of five stars. What? Hey, I'm just, That's why um, I ain't never been on the podcast. He ain't no top. <laughs> he needs to go hang out with AO Schwartz. Um let's see. Me, I tend to gravitate towards the view that cliches are cliches regardless of context, and I get the extra cranky, get extra cranky when certain uber cliches involving Elvis, Vegas, Mysterio, surf music, soundtracks, etc. come into play. If moody criticism were like jury duty, these prejudices would probably be enough to get me scratched from the panel. So take that factor into account. In any event, as a pure display of indie film moxie, raw movie making prowess and cortex blistering energy i'm still plenty impressed with what mungia and company have accomplished here not many artists could conceive a blend of sergio leone akira kurosawa and lone wolf and cub cub among countless other influences and come so close to making it all hang together go see their movie dig the remarkable feat they've pulled off at this early stage in their careers and only stage of their careers and more importantly imagine what they'll be capable of when their ideas start catching up with their sheer nerve so who was right here i just want to point it out like we both saw the same things in the movie we just saw them in different ways and i am 100 percent buoyed by history in terms of correctness so fuck fuck that dude pardon my language um See, it does not look like Russell Smith is um, still writing for them, maybe. I'd say he ain't no Um, top critic no more. Nah, nah, nah. Russell, hold on. So this was 1998, you said? Yeah. So Russell Smith stops writing for them. Now, the hell, this this is just their website. I'll I'll have to look him up. But uh, yeah, 2002 was the end of his his tenure at the Austin Chronicle, it looks like. Oh, Russell, let's let's look at old Russell Smith here. Um, Russell Smith, oh writer. Okay, hold on. I think I found him, and he's got a Wikipedia page. 
You need a Wikipedia page for it. You need to make me one. Okay, no, this is not the same Russell Smith, this the short story writer. Um It's such a common name. This is too difficult. I can't do this on the podcast. Yeah, I don't care about this guy. He's he's fucking wrong and he This is this is but these are the kind of things I, I like to look at, like and then figure out like who these people are. I'm the one that knows the critics, so they interest me. All right. So I did want to bring something up that is kind of like non-traditional cowboy at Jace that came across my feed this week. Have you heard about Sam Elliott's comments on the power of the dog? Which I'm counting as a non-traditional cowboy movie. I heard James Campion basically say, well, he's an actor, not a cowboy, so <clears throat> something along those lines, right? I didn't hear what his comments were. Um, yeah, so let's see here. So he's on Mark Marone's like podcast, and so he's takes that. He said he took that portrayal of the West as quote fucking personal unquote. Marone asked him if he didn't like the film. Elliot replied, "Fuck no. Why? I'll tell you why I didn't like it anyway. I looked at it when I was down there in Texas. It's when he's filming this new TV show, eighteen eighty three or whatever." There was a full page fucking ad in the LA Times and there was a clip and it talked about the evisceration of the American myth. And I thought, what the fuck? This is the guy that's done Western forever. The evisceration of the American West. They made it look, um, what are all those dancers, those guys in New York that wear bow ties and not much else. Remember them from back in the day? <laughs> um, he's talking the about Bendales? Well, <laughs> hilarious. Marone says jokes i think you're thinking about like the chippendales <laughs> like you know um and ellie replies well that's what all these fucking cowboys in the movie look like running around in chaps and no shirts there were all these allusions to homosexuality throughout the fucking movie and Marone says i think that's what the movie was about Elliot says well what the fuck does this woman from down there she's a brilliant director but what the fuck does she know about the American West and why the fuck does she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana and say, this is the way that it was that fucking rubbed me the wrong way, pal. Um, is it myth- Vince McMahon? I know, right? <laughs> <clears throat> the myth is that they were these um, macho men out there with cattle. I just came from fucking Texas where I was handing out, hanging out with families not men, families, big, long, extended, multi-generational families. And then he added that Cumberbatch never got out of his fucking chaps. He had two pairs of chaps, a woolly pair and a leather pair. And every fucking time he was walking around from somewhere, he was never on a horse. Maybe once he'd walk into the fucking house, storm up the fucking stairs, go lay in his bed in his chaps and play his banjo. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, he, really he, funny. <laughs> he he ends up criticizing the the homosexual portrayal and it is like like not being realistic kind of in any way um, there probably was never any gay cowboys ever nah, right. yeah um campion like ended up saying <laughs> yeah like to your point i i'm sorry elliot was being a little little bit of a b-i-t-c-h she spelled it out um he's not a cowboy he's an actor um the west is a mythic space there's a lot of room on the range i think it's a little bit sexist. sure 
um it's just uh, you know you know what i think it is i think that like i think he was offended by the idea that he thought that the the homosexuality was like not an actual plot point but like accidental <laughs> and he was like why do these people seem gay like why is everybody gonna seem gay right right and then like when marone is you know hey um it's kind of the point kind right. of the point there <laughs> right. like, oh uh, yeah, and I, I'm look. I think it's dumb to talk about it being the uh, like this. It seems like the phrase he reacts to is the evisceration of the American West. I don't see it as the evisceration of the American West whatsoever, necessarily. No. I think that's, that's a uh, stupid fucking critic statement. Hot, fucking hot take, right? Um, do I think it's a movie that's set in the old West, kind of that deals with toxic masculinity and homophobia and all these other things. Yes. But I don't see it as like, yeah, like the evisceration of the American West. It's just, again, like she said, it's just another type of story that takes place um, right. during that time that's, period. So, so can I, can I, can I respond to Sam Elliott's criticism? Absolutely. That's what I wanted you to do. Assuming that like, so the whole idea of the western in terms of the american west basically and the open space of the american west is that exact thing is you can tell almost any single story against that backdrop and have it still be effective because it's such it's such a perfect canvas to tell like any any story on you know and we you know we talked about how much we love bone tomahawk there's like a hardcore horror movie set in that space and then you have something like power of the dog that's set in the same space but completely different mm -hmm. and unforgiven and you know um brokeback mountain and plenty of movies that take a completely different look but still set it in the same like use the same palette to paint different pictures and i think i mean i think that's why westerns are so timeless in a lot of ways because you can tell so many different stories like you're not you know and like gangster movies i'm not a fan of gangster movies that much anymore because they tend to tell the same story over and over you know here's the people committing crimes that are eventually going to get caught or eventually going to have their morals catch up with them or whatever but you can tell any story you want in the western setting it's the same thing with horror like within the context of a horror movie you can tell so many different stories and i just you know it's it's fucking dumb especially in 2022 yeah for this man that's become in a lot of ways like a meme for the right you know with his fucking hangdog mustache and droopy droopy dog eyes you know he like you're an actor man like you've made your living like playing fictional characters you're not like hard you know you're not like some kind of fucking cowboy like get the fuck over it like just understand that art is art and that like you can tell a multitude of things in the scope of you know good cinema i don't know yeah look yeah. if you don't like i i 100 understand someone not enjoying power of the dog because i think that it's a very challenging movie and i mm -hmm. think there's a lot of really like uncomfortable questions that that movie asks about you know sexuality and family and masculinity and power and 
I mean, whatever. Like, there's all kinds of questions that that movie asks. And maybe if that makes you uncomfortable, or maybe you just don't enjoy, you know, the kind of stark, like, drama that's in that movie. Like, I get it. Like, whatever. But don't fucking... Number one, don't be a bigot and don't be an asshole. Like, just, you know, hey, that wasn't my cup of tea. Like, I just, it, it wasn't the movie for me. She's a brilliant director. There's all kinds of stories that can exist in the Western setting and then right. move on, you know? And you don't sound like a freaking, I don't know, whatever. Fuck Sam Elliott. Yeah. And I like Sam Elliott too. But I do Sam too. Elliott. Yeah, right. In that respect, no, I I love always love Sam Elliott my entire life. I love him as an actor. Like I think he chooses roles that are appropriate for his skill set. You know, um, right? He's 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 other Ron, for right. Christ's sake. Right, right. Yeah. Um, the Gumber Gumberbatch reacted to it with this like the most eloquent response, like in like like even measured eloquent response of all time. Um, just the very ending of that response is, uh beyond the things he said previously beyond that reaction that sort of denial that anybody could have any other than a heteronormative existence because of what they do for a living or where they're born there's also a massive intolerance within the world at large towards homosexuality still and toward an acceptance of the other of the other and anything kind of different no more so than this prism of conformity of what's expected of a man in the western archetype mold of masculinity to deconstruct that through phil that's not a history lesson (laughs) jesse plemons reaction was that elliot's comments quote made made me laugh (laughs) um i know there's a different layers to that not everyone has to like it i'll say that that's fine so it's like here's Cumberbatch like you know giving this really great response like you know to the whole thing and Jesse Plum's response is like oh it made me laugh if he doesn't like it that's fine (laughs) which really seems like kind of in character for uh... all right so let me say this Sam Elliott's in the quick and the dead right no wait that's not the same quick and the dead never mind that's a different one I'm trying to find some like he plays a joke cowboy in the Big Lebowski, you know what I mean? I'm just looking at like yeah. all these things. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, I guess. When people, I, I, I think, I, I think this is Clint Eastwood's problem too, in a lot of ways, is that like you start mythologizing yourself and your past performance, and somehow, yeah, you know, I mean, you 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 fucking work yourself into a shoot, right? Like you you start to think that like all these things you did on screen that's certainly what eastwood does yeah and start like waxing like somehow not even nostalgic but like condescendingly knowledgeable about whatever like the trials and tribulations it's like fucking um uh denny devito and and get shorty you know talking about like how the shylock feels or whatever like get Mm -hmm. the fuck out of here like you don't know Mm -hmm. what the fuck a cowboy i was with some generational families down in texas the fuck you would have 10 minutes what like sitting in some (laughs) some fucking like probably mansion with some people that have lived in texas for a long time yeah my face (laughs) right right good you know what you know what you know what you know what you fucking bitch fucking sam elliott was in marmaduke he can kiss my ass fucking marmaduke 
the man who killed Hitler and Bigfoot. Like this, this is what this dude's doing. <clears throat> this, this was good. This played out the way I wanted it. <laughs> I'm glad, <laughs> Master Manipulator. Good job. Um, Make, making me angry at Sam Elliott. I purposefully didn't read those comments because I don't want to hear this dude be a bigot. Uh, uh, like I'm just leave it be yeah. so I could just enjoy Sam Elliott. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. You don't want to. You don't want to know about people. Um, I know, and you're always trying to force me to know about people. <laughs> All right, you want to spin this wheel? Aren't we gonna? Are we gonna talk about that after the wheel? Spin? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, that's if fine. people don't want to hear about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha, you, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Live. A, a robot as the main character. Yeah, I'm I'm down. All right, a robot as the main character is the category for next week. So we will see what comes of that. Gonna be good no matter what. All right, so we have had two deaths this week that we wanted to talk about um we'll start with the film one first since this is more about a film podcast and then that way if people don't want to listen to our wrestling shit they can uh tune out so um the first death we had was william hurt um who died on the 13th two days ago uh i know that you're you're not the biggest fan of william hurt in the world i know as an actor right like i go back and forth i mean so certain roles yeah certain roles nah yeah um i i feel the same way but i think we actually like sometimes differ on some of the roles um that we probably like like him in but um a talented guy to me i've probably read more about him i'm sure than you have like in terms of like his personal life and stuff like that a little bit and um a complex guy and I say that in the most like even-handed way possible because there is some problematic stuff with him. But um, as an actor, he's been in a number of movies that I love, and he's been in a lot of roles that I really love a lot as well. Um, going through his filmography here, do you just want to like go through like movie by movie and just? we can skip some things i think but well altered states you're a big fan of right oh yeah i love altered states yeah altered states was what list did that make uh was that 1980 the best of 80 yep yep yeah yep yeah i love altered states um i don't i don't know i witness i don't either but uh that's peter yates movie you should know that yeah you would think but i don't um body heat's fine I like body. I, heat. I like body. Heat. Yeah, good, good performance on it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Big Chill, even though I don't think the Big Chill is a good movie. Um, I think it's a enjoyable movie. I think it's very much a product of its time, but I think that he's really good in it. I think that's really toxic that you like the Big Chill. I cannot stand that movie. Um, Why? Why is it toxic? I, I'm just joking with you. Um, it's it's a boomer movie. You're a cop. Um, call me what you want. <laughs> um i i I, i'm fine with the performances of that movie it's just the type of movie that i'm not down with. i think it i think it informs i look at the big chill the same way i look at um and i always bring this up but i stand by this every time you may be right i may be crazy as a really good artifact of understanding 
how people from that time felt about themselves and looked at themselves. Sure. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that might be absolutely correct. That might be like the biggest art of the film artifact almost of like seeing how those people viewed themselves. So that and that and St. Elmo's fire. Well, that's more of our generation though, right? Mm. I think it's, I think it's riding the cusp there. Mm. I was I was fucking like eight when fucking Cinema's Fire came out. So well, I wasn't I wasn't getting anyway. I'm not going to say anything dirty. Um, uh, Gorky Park I have seen once and I don't really remember it, but yeah. I like Michael Apted, so I'm sure that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiss of the Spider Woman is pretty fantastic movie, yeah, and his performance is really good in it. Yeah, and that's his Oscar win. So yeah. I I saw Children of Lesser God once. <laughs> And I only remember Marley Matlin from it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I remember his performance, I think, but I don't know. I I think I was half paying attention to it, but I only remember. Yeah, he was nominated again. I mean, back-to-back years. Like, um, he actually, like, has three years back-to-back-to-back that he gets nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor, which is pretty um, crazy. But, um, yeah, Children of Lesser God is more of a punchline to me. Uh, it's like something that I saw probably when it came out on VHS when I was seven and didn't fully understand the repercussions of like anything involving that movie. And I saw it again as a teenager. I was like, oh, that's what's going on in this movie. Mm. Um, because uh, my mom like wanted to watch it because whatever reason, but um, but I remember watching it like when I was very young. got all that buzz, man. Yeah, yeah, probably. But um, she's really deaf, but yeah, no, he, he right. But yeah, he's um he's good in that movie. Like having not seen it in twenty five years or so, but <clears throat> he is. And then broadcast news we just talked about. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. Right. Um, Time of Destiny. I don't know. Yeah, Lawrence Kasdan really yeah. loved this film. Yeah, he did. Didn't um, he? I don't know. Accidental tourist, or I don't remember it. That's a is that Gina Davis? I don't know. Uh, it is Kathleen Turner and Gene Davis. Damn, I, I, I have seen that. Yeah, it's been fucking. I, I love you to death, Lawrence Kasdan. That I do not know, but um, Alice is fine. Although I'm not a big fan of Woody Allen anymore. Um, until the end of the world is actually really good. If you ever have the desire to watch it, what is uh, that? Vim, Vim Vim Vendor's movie. Um. Okay. Wim Wenders, Wim, Wim Wenders, Vim, Vim Wenders, I think is how you say it. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been too long since we talked about that director. I've never seen The Doctor or The Plague. I wonder if it's The Plague. Uh, um, What's his name? Uh, Freaking The Stranger, Albert, Albert Camus. Is, is that a Camus adaptation? Uh, It is, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I love that book. I should watch it sometime. Damn, it's him. Duvall and Raul Julia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I'm, I've never heard of that movie. I'm, I'm pretty interested in watching it. And Victoria Tennant in a role there that we just talked about in LA Story. Also, uh, Mr. Wonderful, I've never seen, although I'm not a fan of Anthony Mingola. Uh, second best, I've never seen. Trial by Zuri, I've never seen. Smoke. Trial by Zuri is the thing I have uh, unfortunately probably seen. But, um, that's kind of stuff that I, I I have seen that you don't know about because my mom yeah. used to watch courtroom shit all the time. 
Smoke is um a movie that Chris loves that Frank hates. Frank hates. That was on the first list ever. Yes, and I think it was number one on the list. Correct. I hate um, it so much. I hate it. I hate his performance in it. I hate everything about it. See, I Fucking think that's actually closer to the real person, probably, and maybe that. So I, I that's why I didn't want to talk much about him personally, is because um, one, he's dead now, so you know. But um, two, um, I think that's much closer to the real person like that character like in the way he acts and stuff like that i think it's a so maybe it's not a great performance because i think it's pretty similar to to who he is but um i find like the interactions with him and augie and the harold Perrineau character like really captivating and i i really like that character a lot i stopped listening to you when you started talking about it so <laughs> fuck that movie it's immortalized in a podcast somewhere if you want to hear my hatred for smoke. Right. I'm actually reliving it. Right I have like smoke PTSD as I'm sitting here thinking about <laughs> how much I hate that movie. <laughs> a Couch in New York, I don't know. Michael is the Travolta movie. It is. That movie is terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I know this Franco Zeffirelli Jane Eyre adaptation. Uh, Lost in Space, I actually kind of enjoy um i know it's more or less kind of a joke really but i think that the production design in that movie is really good hmm. i remember there being a big thing about him being in that movie because he was so notoriously prickly to work with right um and i'm pretty sure that there was some like conflict on the set um i actually have a funny lost in space story if you'd like to hear it okay i think i've told it to you before so you know what a sandy is um for the listeners that are unfamiliar uh standy is a the things when you go to the movie theater the big cardboard assembled cardboard stand stand up like displays that advertise a movie <laughs> do you know what a standy is okay yeah no i get it i understand it's for the younger audience yeah well i don't know i'm sorry right. we're, tr- we're trying to weave a narrative here buddy like you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta you know build the lead so to speak right, um right, right. So the standee for Lost in Space was multidimensional. So it had cutouts of every character and it went back and it had a big plexiglass sheet on the front of it that was, I think, lenticular. So you could see like stars falling or some shit. I can't remember. There was a sheet in front of it. So we had to take it out to throw it away after the movie was gone. And we took it outside and it's me and some other people that worked at the theater. And we decided what we were going to do was do front flips into the standee to see who could like crack through it because the logic was that it would support our weight as we jumped so just be funny like um and this is before like cell phones or mobile phones or cameras or anything so nobody's filming this shit we're just doing it to do it so ken this guy i work with runs and does a front flip (laughs) and hits the plexiglass and it doesn't break so he just slides down into the cardboard and he's got like cardboard like sticking out of him everywhere and like splinters from the cardboard he's like oh like all in pain it was hilarious (laughs) um but yeah that's my lost space story every time i think of that movie i think about um shit what was that the young actress's name from party of five that's in it um oh crap i can't remember jennifer love you no that's the middle-aged one right um yeah it's um 
Lacey Lacey Chabert. Oh right, her. That 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 was the one that really got him because she was like thin and in the middle, and it just like like pierced his pierced his flesh. So he got got by Lacey Chabert. Um, Dark City we talked about. We both really enjoy that movie. Uh, one True Thing, Fourth Floor. I don't know. Sunshine is not the sunshine I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm just gonna go until I see a movie I know. Um, AI, I don't particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember his performance in it, so I don't know. Uh, Changing Lanes, I th- is that the one with the people who get in the car accident? It is, yeah. Yeah, that movie is um, Half like an insufferable. Animal. So, yeah. uh, the Village, I think, is underrated. Um, I think a lot of people hate the Village unfairly. Um, History of Violence, amazing. Like that might right. be my my. Broadcast News is probably my favorite performance of his, and Altered State's probably second. But this might be third, his performance as the older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great performance. Uh, he's pretty good in, in Syriana, even though I don't like that movie. Right. Uh, Mr. Brooks is the serial killer movie, right? It is. Where Kevin Costner's like a yep. secret serial killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie's lame, but I don't. maybe he's good in it, I don't know. He's the guy that's tracking him in it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, playing Thunderball Ross, so that's that's fine. Um, oh, that, well, Ridley Scott Robin Hood. That's the one that you went and saw in the theater, right? Have you the seen terrible the, one? Ha, hold on, real quick. Have you seen Into the Wild? Nah, fuck that movie. Fuck Sean Penn. I ain't watching that shit. Okay. You know why? So that movie got so much hype, and it was like based on a true story or something right like i don't oh care. yeah it's a real story of yeah 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 i don't i don't care i don't care you you can well you got a category at some point coming up that maybe it fits into so why i'm just saying like a category it's on your is is is, is he a robot not not for next week just in general there's a category oh. that's probably going to come up this year and Meh. um the disappearance what, of Eleanor Rigby. I bet that's an amazing movie. What, what, what movie did you ask me about? I don't know. Oh, mm. you you guys went and saw that terrible Robin Hood movie, right? No, the, that's the different Scott one. one. No, no, we saw the Jamie oh. Fox um, Robin Hood that was like in 2018 or something like that. Jamie Fox. Who does Jamie Fox play? He plays. See Robin Hood. No. He plays like the Little John, <laughs> Friar Tuck. Um, I can't remember. Maid um, Marion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. It doesn't. I think he plays like the. Oh no, he does play Little John. Yeah, yeah. Although Little John's the one that's teaching him about combat. Look, I'm being honest with you. After that. Like aside from his performances as Thunderbolt Ross, yeah, I know. Um, I, I felt the same way. I don't really know any of this shit. Yeah, I don't know. He's one of those dudes that like. I yeah. think sometimes his taciturn nature is exactly right for the mm-hmm. role that he's doing, and I think sometimes it's super off-putting and boring. So yeah, it's the, the only other things I can speak to just quickly is television. Is he's really good in da- the season of damages that he's in the Glenn, the old gun show mm-hmm. um 
and then he's also really good in Goliath as uh, Billy Bob Thornton's like ex-partner who's become this like hermit who is just like out for revenge and is extremely manipulative and to your point of what you're saying it's like I think there's certain roles that like that 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 nature of his like fits really well and I think he can do those things really well and that damages and Goliath character aren't far off a lot of times um the difference is that one has more lines than the other like that's it and um I think that those kind of characters like he can play really well like kind of like Thunderbolt Ross like I think he can play that character very well because of his how you know short he is with things and stuff like that it's also why i like that character i know and smoke is is because like he is like kind of like silent and like kind of gets to the point of things you know in this kind of like manner that, in which you don't really care for but he does that in a lot of his roles um i think it's something that he is built for in a lot of ways i think the more dialogue he has the um and honestly if you think about broadcast news like compared to like albert brooks like the other male lead like think about the number of lines that are had like in that like he talks more in broadcast news because it's a talking movie uh because it's james brooks movie but he has many less lines than holly hunter and albert sure. brooks you know i mean i i think the less he talks the better it is sometimes that's why like that's part of the brilliance of broadcast news is i think depending on when you watch it in your life you have a different take on every character in that movie mm -hmm. and that's why i think that performance is so brilliant there because sometimes you're completely on his side and sometimes you're completely against him and it's mostly because of that because he's such a cipher in a lot of ways in terms of like how he views the world and how he views himself in it right and you see like those little cracks of like almost viciousness in that character but then they're smoothed over by that snaky charms i don't know it's just yeah. it's um it's pretty brilliant performance yeah i'll tell you the one thing i i forgot that he <laughs> he was in and when i'm not a super big fan of this in terms of like its overall production but um that 2000 dune adaptation mm -hmm. Yeah. Um he plays Leo Atreides in it. Yep. And uh it's actually it's it's a decent enough performance and it's actually a decent little mini series. Yeah, given like its budget and you know constraints and stuff like that. Like I yeah, I actually always enjoyed that. Like um I did not enjoy like the follow-up to the second book that they did on sci-fi, but I always joined the first one, like the four hour mini series that sci-fi did. But yeah. So, I mean, he's a guy that, um, I mean, look, that's three years in a row, 80, 85 to 87 to get nominated for an Oscar yeah. is, is, is pretty impressive. I mean, um, like in his own right, like, let alone like some stuff that he did later in his career, that's, um, pretty solid work. So good yeah. actor, you know, in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's sad that he, he's passed and yeah. There's definitely, if you're interested, plenty of stuff to recommend that we mm -hmm. just talked about to go and watch. Right. Um, I would, to me, it would be History of Violence, Broadcast News, Altered States would be the three that I would say. Yeah. The ones that... And I would just add Smoke in there myself. And um, 
I would say that season of damages, um, which if I remember correctly is the first season. Um, oh no, it's not. Okay. I forget which season it is. I think it's second season. Then. Um, second season of damages, I think is really strong stuff. So, um, from him, but <clears throat> yeah. All right, so the other death that we had, which this is Frank and I's like professional wrestling stuff, but is um it's it's still a major thing like in that business is uh the death of Scott Hall, which if you're somebody who's like lapsed or doesn't pay attention to wrestling anymore, maybe like knew some stuff at one time, it's also was known as Razor Ramon in the 1990s and WWF. Um but a really important figure in wrestling history uh primarily because not only for the razor ramon character um and a number of other little things that happened during that part of his career but more importantly probably for him and um his friend kevin nash uh who was diesel in the wf making the jump at and leaving wwf to go to wcw and team with hulk hogan um who turned um into like a bad guy a heel to um form the new world order um the nwo over in wcw and really is the thing that like kind of ignited the monday night wars that existed from 1996 to um when they kind of officially end you think like 98 99 somewhere in there like um yeah late late 98 early 99 but um the war between like monday night raw and uh, monday nitro and um that exists in the late 90s so a really pivotal figure in in the in professional wrestling in the 90s um uh, yeah and uh someone who with a lot of personal problems um particularly alcohol and drug related and uh those damages probably came back you know the damage that he did to himself like through that probably in the end kind of came back to haunt him some but um you know through the years has been closely related to uh diamond dallas page ddp who kind of like you know is this guru of getting people back on the straight and narrow when they've had those kind of issues and um probably helped prolong his life um to yeah. this point and uh yeah so what are your biggest memories like of razor scott hall like that you have i mean obviously it would be the razor ramon character uh those vignettes of him like mm -hmm. going out on the street i mean so after macho man probably my favorite promo of that era like <laughs> in terms of ability to talk and the ooze of machismo and like hey, yeah the one for the bad guy like all the uh, whatever you want to call it the cultural appropriation of right um scarface basically um and then just being like so i mean obviously it'd been not obviously but i've been completely out of any sort of wrestling interest for years at that point um going over to a friend's house one night and being like hey man like you need to watch this this wcw shit because it's got Razor Ramon and Diesel and they're there with Hulk Hogan and they're called the NWO and mm -hmm. watching that and 
they had tapes of that bash at the beach and just seeing him um I always felt that Scott Hall to me always felt really dangerous um, as a character because he seemed the gimmick seemed real with him like whereas uh, Nash always kind of seemed very laid back and very nonchalant about stuff Hall always seemed like he was on the cusp of being able to just like really beat the shit out of somebody and he has that that real world like lanky muscularity to him or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it where he's not like a like a bodybuilder or sculpted like he's got you know some fat spots and his his hairy stomach and his slick back hair like he's just very much um felt like a real you know like a real guy so Mm -hmm. i don't know but yeah, definitely love his promos as Razor Ramon, loved his promos in WCW as Scott Hall. Um, I think him and Kevin Nash, in terms of the way that they would like play off each other when they talked, was the best parts about the NWO for the majority of sure. its time. Um, and always kind of deflated by whenever Hogan would be allowed to talk. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the, you think back, just one of your favorite wrestlers, I think, for most of us. Um, just a guy that we all like to watch and always thought really highly of like later, you know, you wanted him to be healthy. You wanted him to come out of, you would hear about him like wrestling drunk or going into the hospital and you always wanted him to succeed. And like you said, like when he got with diamond Dallas page and sort of got on the DDP yoga, um, and got himself in some better shape, him and, um, him and Jake, the snake, it was really good to see. And you kind of felt like maybe he had turned a corner, but I guess, you know, those ravages kind of catch up with you. Um, Yeah, this was for hip surgery, and he ended up during the surgery having, you know, multiple heart attacks, and, like, they had to put him on life support and then eventually pull the plug on him. And, um, yeah, it's just really unfortunate, like, I mean, that it comes from a fairly routine surgery. I mean, um, just really unfortunate, but uh what do you think your favorite can you think of like your favorite scott hall match it's hard to really have anything compete with the michael's ladder matches yeah yeah um the the wrestlemania and SummerSlam ones yeah you know you know what i always liked about scott hall I, i i can't name a particular match but scott hall for a long time was a heel and then a tweener and didn't really become a face until like towards the end of when he was in wwf like a true like face but scott hall nobody could lose a match like scott hall or like (laughs) razor ramon at that point like that dude would get like the surprise pin on him right and like jump up and hands on his head and like oh my god you know and it just Mm-hmm. The way that he sold, like, the, the surprise pin was always, um, I always really, like, like popped for that a little bit. But, um, yeah, the, the, the Michaels matches, I think, are the best. I'm trying yeah. to think of any really good matches in WCW because I feel like, he, I mean, he, you, you told me earlier. Some... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, you told me earlier, I had no idea. He's 37 when he debuts in WCW. Yeah. And, yeah. um. 96 but 
it's like it, it felt like Hall was always more the guy that came in to either take the bumps so Nash didn't have to take them, mm-hmm. or just came in to like lay some, you know, lay some wood with some chops or whatever and set up for a razor's edge. But I mean he was more for the entrance than anything else. That fucking walk, man, with the the like semi um two sweets we call them, like the Yeah. Uh-huh. And doing like the serpentine yeah, the, movements with uh, yeah, his arm, and like the kind of well, it's kind of like an airplane into serpentine. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like it's yeah, like um, and like his like you know kind of like bouncing in the ring and like pumping his arms towards his chest, like you know his his, his bald arms, like um, a lot of iconic stuff with that guy. Um, and then like throwing his arms out like to the side, a lot of iconic stuff with that guy. I will always argue that Scott Hall has like the best one-time entrance of all time there there's two of them that are really close there's eddie guerrero coming into an uh an event using um santana and rob thomas's smooth which i think is like a great entrance like if you watch it it fits perfectly with eddie guerrero um but i the entrance that uh scott hall has i think it's to an it's to an ecw show where he comes out to the fuji's ready or not is i think as a one-time entrance it's the only time he ever comes out to that song um and he lets the lauren hill part like play through and comes out like right after that ends um and like comes out of the curtain with that like kind of like you know like those hands out motion um is one of the best one-time entrances the best one-time i think entrance i've ever seen in my entire life he was a hit both him and kevin nash were like huge hip-hop fans and would come out to house shows um, off tv when you could get away with using real music to a lot of hip-hop like from the 90s um and it's one of those things that on like the the local circuit when you went to go see those shows really gave them an edge um during the 90s is because and nash himself actually would come out like wearing fubu which yeah should feel like a like some sort of appropriation but for some reason never felt like that way with him but um he he just carried himself in a certain way where somehow it worked and um but yeah like they both would come out to hip-hop like you know stuff a lot and, and but that one entrance like one time it happened was um was pretty pretty damn awesome yeah i agree it's the michaels matches i think him and nash have some good matches in wcw as a tag team versus um the steiners and harlem heat at times yeah. they're 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 they're, they're okay tag. yeah but i mean the, the so my problem we watch a channel called wrestling bios so yes yeah. um shout out to him um yeah. amazing youtube channel that's reviewing best, and that's wrestling channel on the, yeah on YouTube. it's it's fantastic and he's doing the reliving the war mm-hmm. um where he plays each reviews each episode simultaneously basically like that like side by side mm-hmm. the thing that i realized is what i always popped for in the 90s was the feeling and the ambiance of wcw where mm-hmm. it felt like it was literally like two not just opposing factions, but people that didn't belong that were there kind of rubbing the, you know, the people that were loyal to WCW's faces and the fact that they were more popular and they were more over. 
Um, and I really feel like a lot of those matches just kind of devolve into crowd pops, really. Like you watch them and it's it's more about what the crowd is like hop for and less about the quality of the match that's being performed. So, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, he's been involved in like so much throughout his career, like in terms of one of the more popular WWF gimmicks of all time, like the like outside of the four horsemen, like, like, and probably maybe even more so like the most popular, like stable um, in WCW history. He, the, 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 sh- the biggest shoot stable in history known as the click, um, like of a real group of friends, which was him, Nash, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H and Shawn Michaels and uh, Shawn Waltman, who was X-Pac or six, like that group like basically like defined um like that time period like out yeah. like outside of the show and like he's just been he was he was an integral part of 90s professional wrestling that without him like a lot of things that happened in that business wouldn't have existed and yeah. like the whole monday night wars thing which wrestling bio has kind of pointed <laughs> out like in a large part like calling it the monday night wars which was what kind of like wrestling fans and the media ended up like calling it comes in a large part because of the scott hall promo of asking like you know do you want a war and um because it's it was spoken both in kayfabe and in a shoot way as shots fired at wwf at that time and like to have that guy be the one to like say that line um is um like puts him right in the center like you know of the storm at that point like for professional wrestling so a really pivotal figure if you don't know anything about professional wrestling um and yeah it's a shame like that he that that he passed away for something so kind of usually benign like as a history makes you feel good though that he was able to recover a lot and like be part of absolutely reunions and Mm -hmm. tributes and i don't know i mean again from that middle era one of my favorite promo guys of all time um like not quite to the level of somebody like savage who's probably my favorite or um jake but uh right there and definitely from that time period maybe the best talker out of all of them yeah, I don't know how I feel about the talking, but I definitely feel about the excitement of him entering to a ring. Like, every single time he entered a ring, like, it was always exciting, no matter what. And particularly, like, the, the Hey Yo thing, like, um, is one of the best, like, first, like, when you grab the mic and say something, is might be, might be the best thing, like, ever. Um that anybody's ever done in terms of the first time they get on the mic and they always have a a slogan or a catchphrase is is the hey yo um brilliant like brilliant stuff hey, yo. yep to where everybody in the crowd like knew it was coming and would go along with him like um yeah. i don't know if there was anybody before him like i'd have to really think about it but did something like that um and realized that people would kind of say it along with him um but yeah, brilliant stuff. Um, brilliant performer. So yeah. So all right. Well, um Robot doing people things. <laughs> robot doing No, it's robot is the main character. They don't have to be doing people things. Oh, they Just, might be. 
<laughs> they could be. I mean, but just Shit. as the main character. Um, you know, I actually bought a movie recently that I haven't watched yet that that fits this perfectly, but I don't know if I want to use it on that. So, hmm. shout out the Vinegar Syndrome and their amazing um, collector's edition DVDs. Well, there's probably like it feels like there would be like five things on Arrow that would fit this description. Yeah, but I probably watched them. Do you like robots real quick? I'll ask you this again next week, so I want a brief answer tonight. Do you like like things with robots in them? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I can give or take a robot, you know? Fuck it. Okay. Right. See, robots are in sci-fi, and I don't always like sci-fi. So sure. I'm, I feel How do like you feel about iRobot? The Will Smith movie or the Asimov book? Or both? Sure. I don't care for either. <laughs> Well, that's just next week <laughs> when we talk about robot as the main character. Yeah. Have a good Fuck week. Fuck Isaac Asimov. Deuces. <laughs>